Good evening, Mr. Perfex. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being patient. A couple of minutes late, but um, better late than never. Welcome to TRH, the Reconnection Hour by Mr. Perfect. I'm Terry, founder and CEO of Mr. Perfect, as you probably well know by now. Uh, what is Mr. Perfect? Well, we bring together men at barbecues across Australia to create communities and connection for the betterment of their mental health and to reduce isolation. We're obviously not doing that right now, but we've got some news later that we might be able to kick them off again, which is incredible. We have been doing some online barbecues and a lot more online stuff as well, which has been very cool. What's TRH? Well, Reconnection Hour, we a uh, bit of a mixed bag of chatting to health professionals, uh, mental health professionals, our own barbecue hosts, and other people in, I guess what I call the community and connection sector, doing great things in mental health, men's health, connection, you name it, uh, we get some great people on. Uh, a little, uh, this is uh, the first time I mentioned it last week was uh, a little disclaimer, uh, just to say, look, we are going to discuss things in and around mental health. It won't get too gory, but just a bit of a, a pre-warning, I guess, if anything that might trigger or not. Um, hopefully it won't, but uh, just a warning that we will discuss that. Update on the week that has been for Mr. Perfect. I alluded to it last week, but I think I announced on our socials, the Zurich Foundation, uh, we won sort of a sizable amount of money from them, at least for us, which is absolutely incredible. Um, it's been really great to see that just one little conversation that I had at a, a corporate barbecue once has led to that. So it's really you know, relieved us for the rest of the year, which is amazing. Uh, we've got our first barbecue back this week. We've got a few restrictions around it, but it'll be in Perth. Um, on Sunday, you'll be able to see the details on the event page. The rest of the barbecues we're looking to kick off in June and July. Um, again, there's going to be some restrictions around it and just being sensible and careful and following all the guidelines, but you'll be able to find the details on the Facebook events page. Uh, just a general thank you to our community while we've been during these COVID times, you guys have been incredible. Um, lots of chatter and optimistic and uh, positive things going on in the group and where people have needed a little bit of support. There's just been plenty of you jumping on and helping as well, which is just amazing. Uh, couldn't wish for anything more. Um, a reminder, best question or comment for tonight. This is something I'm adding tonight. You can uh, win a Mr. Perfect t-shirt. I've got a few more to get rid of. And any of the larger lads in the audience, I still have some three times XLs and four times XLs that I'm going to give away free. So just DM or comment or do whatever you need to do. Message me directly. I'll send you one. Um, yeah, so look, I guess uh, leading on to that, someone that's been um, part of our community and it kind of embodies uh, a lot of what we do. And I, I feel a lot of affinity to as well. I don't know him too well personally. But um, I do know of him, have spoke to him, have met him, and we've had um, some great chats and, I guess, great interactions and hopefully more to come after this. Um, tonight, we're going to chat to Dr. Tim Sharp, a.k.a. Dr. Happy. So I'll give a quick intro and then I'll bring him in. Uh, he's the Chief Happiness Officer of the Happiness Institute, which is Australia's first and now largest organisation devoted solely to enhancing happiness individuals, families and organisations. He's heavily involved in the youth mental health charity, Batir, which you probably, a lot of you know, an incredible group. Uh, he's a creator and author of the audiobook Habits for Happiness, which has been huge. I've seen some of the stats on it and the updates. has been a bestseller. He's a clinical psychologist, uh, public speaker and author. I know I'll find out a bit more about his psychology background, but I know he did um, or does a lot in organisational psychology. Husband, father, and a big friend in support of Mr. Perfect. He's uh, about four or five years ago, he gave me, um, before I even started Mr. Perfect, I just messaged him and said, have you got time to have a coffee? And, you know, most people would say no. And uh, Tim and I had a great chat. So it was, a, it was actually a good, um, also another reason why we started Mr. Perfect. That chat gave me a bit of hope as well. So it's amazing. Uh, finally, he's one of the most relatable humans in the world. I think I've, uh, I've encountered um, and talks candidly about the good and the challenging times as well. So I will bring in uh, Dr. Tim Sharp. Hello. Hey there, how are you? Yeah, very well. How are you going? Uh, pretty good uh, under the circumstances, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And you're, um, you're kind of working at the moment remotely, I guess. You said you're doing a bit of writing? 
Yeah, well, uh, well, bits and pieces. So a lot of my work is um, is speaking at, uh, at at organizations and at conferences, and that's um, as you can probably understand, completely disappeared. Um, about six weeks ago, everything got cancelled, and and it'll probably be cancelled for another few months. Um, a bit of that has gone online. I've done a few uh, Zoom presentations, but luckily enough, um, yeah, as you said, just before uh, all this happened, I'd signed a new book contract. So for the first month or so of isolation, I was um, pretty happily and busily writing, which was good. Uh, yeah, and certainly uh, sort of kept me busy and 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 semi sane as well for the last few weeks. Yeah. I love that, and uh, I know I don't know. That's why I feel a bit more of affinity to you as well as a not quite as an accomplished writer as you, but. My, the writing, having to write a book during this time wouldn't be too bad of a thing, I can imagine. I reckon I could lose myself in that a little bit. But um, with the public speaking, I was going to ask uh, just a question I thought then, doing it over Zoom, how do you feel uh, it's connected to the audience? Has it has it been worse, the same, better, or have you felt the general vibe of it? Uh, look, it's uh, well, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more convenient, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not. Uh, it's I'd say it's not as good. And I mean, in the sense that, if given the name of what we're doing, the connection hour, it's a lot harder to connect. Well, it's it's it's, it's very hard to connect with the audience. So mm -hmm. it's um, it's a bit of a challenge, to be honest, to deliver um, you know like a keynote uh, for 45, 60 minutes um, when you literally just like I am now staring at a screen. Um, uh, so it's it's not ideal, but at the same time, uh, I'm grateful for the technology that I can still do and that I can still offer um, what you know the support and advice that I can offer to to some people who need it. So um, you know, like there's there's pros and cons, there's good and bad, but certainly, um, no, it is very difficult to get that connection that you would normally get with a live you know a live audience. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Um, not quite the same industry, but a guy who's a, a angel investor for sort of small startup companies in the US, and he was saying that over Zoom, like he'd be normally in meetings all day, face to face. He's a very he's extroverted, but he's he likes to connect with people and see the the subtleties of the body language and the eye movements, and and he said that he's finding this probably even more exhausting because you said sitting there forty five sixty minutes in front of the camera where you're there, there's no room to maneuver around or stand up or walk around and express yourself in a way that's, I don't know, that's, that could help you right at that point or release some sort of tension or energy. And he said he's finding it really, really big struggle to get across that, you know, that connection. So uh, no, it's interesting you say that. So uh, I had alluded to a few things that you've done. I'm sure there's many more in my intro, but, um, First question, I would love to know a little bit more about you rather than sort of the organizations you're involved in, which we'll move on to and the things you're involved in. But um, tell us a bit about your story, uh, background, childhood, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, and how you got to, I guess, psychology in the world you're in now. Uh, well, um, <laughs> where is it? Um, is, this, is this PG rated or? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess. Uh, well, I'll kind of tell it in two parts. So, uh, yeah. prof my professional story, uh, I suppose, is I um, well, I did study psychology after school, although not because I wanted to be a psychologist. To be honest, I'd never met a psychologist at that stage, um, and to be honest, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do um, when I left school. Um, psychology sort of vaguely interested me, even, but I didn't really know what it was about. Um, and for the first few years, I didn't really. Um, enjoy it that much to be honest it was I, I, I was pretty I was a pretty lost soul to be honest I was pretty um, unsettled um, so I did first year um, didn't really get into it that much took a year off did the whole backpacking around Europe thing which is fantastic uh, great experience came back um, did second year was still pretty unsettled took another year off and this time went around Australia uh, came back and did third year and started to settle down a bit more maybe because of age and and maybe because I think maybe psychology was starting to get a bit more interesting um, but even after I finished my third and then my fourth year my honors year I still didn't have a clue what I wanted to do I still didn't really hadn't even really thought about being a psychologist at that stage um, but then I had one of those I've been lucky enough in my life to have a couple of really sort of significant moments I suppose light bulb moments and for somehow or other I still don't quite understand how I had a conversation with one of the tutors or the lecturers at university 
And she encouraged me to apply for the clinical master's degree, which I hadn't even thought of then. And I think there was only like a couple of days left for the applications. Um, so again, at this stage, I still never really, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. I still didn't really know what a psychologist did, but I, luckily enough, I applied, got accepted, came back the next year to do my clinical master's degree. And that was fantastic. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, it was the first time in my life. So I would have been, um, you know, sort of mid twenties, I swear, or early to mid twenties. Um, but it's the first time in my life I actually th knew or thought I knew what I wanted to do. Um, so that then led to a couple of really great years of studying, then some work, then working as a clinician, which I, which I loved. It was fantastic. It was a lot of hard work. Um, uh, and then I did my PhD thinking I wanted to become an academic. Um, but that was all, so that was already um, very, very satisfying and fulfilling part of my life. And, and I said, particularly because um, after being lost for so long, I'd, I'd kind of found my, or what I thought at that stage was my, um, my career, my, my calling. Um, so I continued that for a long time, um, cut a long story short, left the public system. I was working at um, Royal, North Shore, Royal North Shore Hospital, which is one of the big teaching hospitals here in Sydney. Um, but I was also becoming an academic at Sydney University. Um, and this was all going great. But then for a couple of reasons, I left there to go into private practice. And this was kind of like the second stage of my professional life. Um, because I discovered a bit of an entrepreneurial gene I didn't know I had <laughs> um, and ended up building a very successful and quite large business, um, a multi-million dollar business, which is a bit of a surprise to everyone because I never <laughs> never thought of myself as an entrepreneurial businessman. Um, so that, that continued. So that was another um, sort of the next stage. Um, and then again, to cut a long story short, um, I discovered positive psychology and then uh, set up the Happiness Institute, which is another... Um, relatively successful venture and and that's really what I've dedicated sort of the last um, well couple of decades I suppose to promoting the principles of positive psychology so so in my professional life I've been a clinical psychologist a researcher an academic uh, a coach and a consultant and then but then more recently um, I suppose a speaker and and writer and and a lot of media work um, yeah. and more recently a lot more podcasting and those sorts of things so so that's my professional life. And, and I suppose lately, the last few years, it's mostly been um, speaking to organisations, speaking at conferences, writing, as I said. And as you hinted at earlier, particularly for the last six or seven years, um, I've given a lot of my time to a youth mental health charity called Batir, who do a fantastic job of smashing the stigma um, associated with mental health, particularly with high schools and universities. Um, so that's kind of a brief version. The, uh, at the same time, running parallel to that in my personal life, um, despite being a clinical psychologist and despite being known as Dr. Happy, I've also experienced um, quite severe depression for pretty much all of my adult life with, um, unfortunately, a number of, um, quite a number of severe suicidal um, episodes. Um, it's something that I didn't speak about for a long time because no one did at that stage. Um, I, you know, I still look back in, in horror almost at the first, um, I don't want to go into the details, but the first time I to take my life um, I was admitted to hospital and then I was discharged from hospital with nothing with no referral no advice no resources uh, now admittedly and I don't really blame anyone because this was before I'm very old as you can see <laughs> um, and this is um, you know this was before Mr Perfect this was before Beyond Blue this was before yeah. um, Are You Okay Day a lot of these fantastic things that have happened in the last I guess decade or so, they just didn't exist then. Um, so again, I don't blame anyone, but it, you look back and it wasn't that long ago, just mm. no one spoke about it. My parents who you know, loved me and tried to do the best they could had no idea at all and there was no support for them. That, you know, we, we just didn't even have the vocabulary to talk about these sorts right. of things. So, um, and, and, and so that's why I'm so passionate about Batir. That's why I love what you're doing here, Terry. And, and you know, it's fantastic now that I, as a, as a uh, well, from myself, but also as a father of two teenagers and a, a teenage son particularly, um, to think that he's growing up in a world where hopefully um, these sorts of conversations can can be much more normalised and, and, and in fact can be more positive. And, and obviously that's that's a big thing of what Batir does, but this is why I love, you know, the, the Mr Perfect barbecues, to give people a safe place to have, just to have conversations that should be okay. You know, we should be able to talk about this sort of thing. So... So anyway, that's the personal part of life, which I've um, spoken a lot more about in um, in the last five or six years, I suppose. And with the, um, I'm just curious as to when, because I think about the point that I, there was a number of things that happened for me to go, okay, 
no one else around me is ready to kind of deal with this or knew how to deal with it. So I'm going to have to do it myself. And then there was a number of events that happened that there wasn't just sort of one light bulb or one thing that made me go and get help. It was a number of things. And eventually I got there and then I realized that this thing is, doesn't just go away. Like I accept it and it's now a case of management and dealing with it and dealing with it in the best appropriate way. Did you, did you have one of those moments? Did it get to the crisis point? And then you go, oh, well, now I definitely need to go and do something about it. And did you do it on your own or did you feel completely disconnected from everything? How did that work? Uh, no, look, it was it was bits and pieces and splitter and splatter and missteps and mistakes. Yeah. And, uh, as I said, I, I hadn't, um, well, I, I don't think, I don't even think I knew what I was experiencing in the early days, in my early 20s. And, and I, unfortunately, like a lot of people, and particularly a lot of blokes, um, my my therapy, my coping was alcohol. Um, yes. And, uh, you know, that's how I um, coped with, with my depression. And, 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 you know, the strange thing is it kind of works a little bit. And that's the, that's yeah. the, that's the bad part. But it sort yes. of does help. Um, well, in the short term anyway. Yeah. Um, it doesn't help in the long term. But And the other part is that it's so normalised. It's such a part of our society that... I wasn't any different to any of my mates. I mean, we we just drank a lot. That's what young blokes mm. did. And, it's, um, and as much as I still like a drink now, it's you know we've got a very serious problem in this in this country yeah. with alcohol. That's, that's another discussion, I suppose. Of course. Um, but it's, so certainly in my early in my my late teens or my teens and early teens, I um, you know I, I I didn't do very good by myself by using alcohol, and I, I admit other drugs to to try to cope. That was all I knew at that stage. So it really wasn't until I made that first attempt to take my life um, when I was admitted to hospital um, that my parents sort of realised, I guess, how um, how serious it was. Yeah. So we tried to, um, they tried to help me get some help. Um, and I think I wanted to get help. Again, I didn't, I just didn't know what to do or how to, yeah. where to go at that stage. And then unfortunately, um, the first couple of people weren't very helpful. We had a couple of... Um, yeah. Uh, and, and this is actually something I think is important to talk about because it doesn't get Definitely. talked about that much, that it's not always that first psychologist or psychiatrist or counsellor or whatever um, that, that, that necessarily helps. So, But, but luckily we, we sort of persisted um, and I think it was like the third um, clinical psychologist who I uh, found um, that just clicked. I just I felt comfortable with her. Her approach suited me. So it's not always that they're good or bad. It's sometimes just yeah. that they the approach doesn't, you know, doesn't fit, or the chemistry is not there. But, but thankfully, you know, I was incredibly lucky. Um, she was fantastic, and that that literally changed my life. Um, so she helped me a lot at that stage. Um, but then I had several. I've had many ups and downs since then, and I've had to refine other people. And it's now. It took me a long time. I, I now have a another psychologist that I see regularly, um, and it took me a while to find her again. Someone that. That, that fitted with my life now. I mean, I'm very different now to how I was then, but but it certainly, it didn't just happen overnight. It took um, it took a lot of mistakes and missteps, as I said, and it took a bit of um, a bit of trial and error, really, to, again, to find that right person, to find the right approach. Um, and maybe for me to be ready as well, I suppose, or me to be mature enough or whatever, I don't know how to describe it, but, mm. but um, yeah, it did take a long while. And then even then, again, this is going back quite a few years, um, I didn't talk about it at all. Um, in fact, when I when I came out, I, I sort of half joke about coming out of the closet. Yeah. Um, I don't mean the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In an offensive way, it's just a, a way yeah. of describing. But I, I I did hide it for a long time. And when I uh, came out, sort of um, a bit more formally, oh, again, probably quite a few years ago now. And I, one of the first things I did was write a letter or an email um, to my to, to my really close group of friends and my fam, my immediate family knew, obviously. Um, but my the people that I like many of my old school friends, some of my longest friends, um, the people that I considered my sort of closest, um, and I wrote them a letter. And I must admit, I I um, I just assumed that they would have known. I assumed they would have guessed. I mean, some of them had been around me when I'd been admitted to hospital. I mean, and that had happened again another time. And so, but what was amazing is that when I wrote this letter, uh, almost all of them were. were Sort of flabbergasted. They were they were totally surprised. They said, "Why didn't you tell me?" And and I kind of thought, "Well, how, how didn't you? Why didn't you know? Like, how the hell couldn't you have seen that I was so fucked up?" Excuse me. Yeah. Because um, that's how I felt. I felt so fucked up for so many years. I felt it must have been so obvious to everyone. 
But I guess what I learned there is how good I was and how good many of us are at covering this up, at, at hiding it and putting on a brave face. Um, so, you know, that was a really, that was a real eye-opener for me that what I thought had been so obvious for so long obviously hadn't been. Then, so that even my best friends um, hadn't noticed or, or yeah. So, so you know, that, and then from there I started talking more and more publicly and, and as you said, through the work I do with Batia now, it's become it's actually become a big part of my life now. Trying to uh, trying to smash that stigma, trying to normalise these conversations. Um, you know, I so I couldn't help but look over in the comments and I saw someone said it's very, very brave of me for sharing. But yeah, I don't I don't consider myself brave at all. I, I yeah. consider it, it shouldn't take bravery or courage to talk about. It. Just like you know, I'm not ashamed that I have to wear glasses. I'm not ashamed that I had to have my appendix out. I'm not ashamed. Um, of, of you know having other health problems I've had um, you know broken my thumb once and so why should I be ashamed that I've got a um, you know mental health problem I was just about to put that on the screen after you finished I was so sort of lost in what you were saying but um yeah the there's a couple of things there the bravery part of being you know, Mr Perfect and being thinking someone must know or like someone must have seen these points and I used to think the same I used to think well I'd let it go under, you know, it'd simmer under the surface and then I'd go out on a big night out, for example, and something would happen and then, you know, emotionally lose it the next day. And, and I just thought, well, surely they saw that. <laughs> Someone's going to say, come on, <laughs> let's let's get you over to it. And it never happened, never. Mm. I don't think it ever happened, actually, even people I was, you know, dating or whatever it might have been, family, whatever. Um, it may have been alluded to, but then it was very quickly, like, we have no idea how to deal with it, so we're not comfortable dealing with it. And I understand that. I did the same thing at uni with a girl I was seeing who was severely depressed and broke down in front of me. And some, I somehow moved my own, at the time, knowing I was depressed or thinking I was, moved myself out of that equation and thought, why is she? I, I couldn't, I don't know how I did that at that point. I knew I was depressed. She was, you know, in a real tight spot, a really serious spot. But I still didn't know how to deal with that. It was, it was amazing. and I, I couldn't deal with it. It was just really incredible to think that we can go that long hiding it or think we're hiding it or putting on a, a brave face. And, mm. and uh, you know, power to you for eventually sort of facing it or facing it as good as um, you could have. But I wanted to go back to something you said about the, um, or you were saying about your sort of connection to a psychologist or finding We've been talking about this almost on every live stream. I get it's probably the biggest question I get at the moment from people through the Mr. Perfect group or people I know or friends or whoever it might be. Oh, but I can't find a good psychologist or I can't find it. And I say I used to sort of try and give some sort of advice around it. And now it's kind of if you're thinking that good, good is subjective, firstly. So what you think is good might not be good for me or you or and secondly, you've got to work hard at it. Like you're going to have to probably go to a couple likely before you even get any form of connection with them. Um, and I, I don't know if people are educated on that beforehand. I think that's a problem maybe with men as well. They're not told that, look, this is going to be really hard to get this help because they've normally stumbled upon it or they've been dragged there by someone or suggested they go to someone. So um, I guess it's important to know, and I guess your points on it, what would your sort of suggestions be for someone then if they're um, finding they're not connecting with their psychologist? What would be your, I don't know, your sort of high level points that they should be doing? Well, I think you, I think you've already uh, touched on that. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, I, I guess um, one of the ways that I often describe it with that, and again, it, sound, it might sound a bit weird in a way, but it, I think it's a reasonable metaphor is it's a bit like dating. Um, you know, not all of us marry the first person um, that we go out with. Um, so, um, it, and it's a little bit like that. I mean, if, if you do meet a good psychologist and it just clicks straight away, fantastic. Um, but as we said, it doesn't always work like that. Just like, you know, my wife wasn't the first girl I ever dated. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that you need to, it, well, it's a bit of a balance because as you said, you, you've got to give them at least a reasonable go. Like it won't necessarily just happen in the first session. It does take time to build that rapport. It does take time for them and you to get used to the, the approach. So. I would say if you go along to a psychologist, or, and I say psychologist, but other, you know, mental health professional, yeah, but 
if you go along to psychologist, um, I would say give it at least a couple of sessions because it can take a while for both of you, both of us, to um, you know feel our way and to get used to it and to try a few things out. And and really, the first session is going to be predominantly them just asking you a whole bunch of questions. They they need to do that. And because I've sat on both sides of the the table. You know, if I'm the psychologist, the first step, all, all I'm doing is just asking you a bunch of questions, getting to know. I'm not really going to be able to help you that much in yeah. the first session. So, so I would say give it at least a bit of a try. Give it at least two or three, if not even four or five um, sessions just to see. But what I would also say is don't go on forever. If it's, you know, if yeah. it's not working, you, you, will, you should know within, you know, I would say within three or four sessions, not that you'll be cured, not that everything will be magically better, but you should feel... Again, that there's a connection there. That's prob probably the most important thing in the early stages. And after the first three, four, maybe five, you should at least feel that what this person's saying is making sense and that, yes, I think this is going to help me. You know, you might not be all the way there. You won't have done everything. Um, but if you don't feel that it's, if, if, if you don't feel the connection, if it's not making sense, if you don't feel any sort of hope or optimism, then I'd say, um, you know, find someone else to date, try someone else. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, you know, most people I've spoken to and in, in my experience that, it, you know, maybe it'll take two or three, but you will find there are really good people out there. Um, there's yeah. a lot of great professionals out there. Um, and hopefully it won't take too long, but it might take yeah. a couple of hours. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a similar sort of conversation I've been having with people recently. I'm trying not to sort of tell them what to do, but in, in essentially saying ability, and you'll probably notice pretty quickly if, you know, fairly quickly with someone, if they will they might suggest to you they're not right for you <laughs> and i've had a psychologist tell me that as well <laughs> yeah. sorry i mean the other thing these days which is different when i first started out um yeah. professionally is that um i mean almost every well every mental health professional these days will uh, almost certainly have a website and they'll yes. possibly even have sort of some social media profiles so um you know that you can actually get to know them a little bit and get to get a bit of a feel for their style um just by you know by looking at their website maybe looking at their facebook or instagram feed um and you know as you said earlier and i think it's important it's not necessarily that one's one approach is right or wrong or better or worse there are some that are not very good i'd steer away from but you know as long as they're reasonably qualified and um you know they, they, they've got you know they're registered etc um you can get a bit of a feel for their um i suppose their personality in a sense their professional personality and that'll give you a bit of an idea about whether there might be a fit there. I would say it won't be perfect, but it'll give you a bit of an idea. And um, was, I don't know if people are reading my mind tonight, but John has just commented here. Um, he's a member of our community, comes on the online barbecues a lot. Great guy, gets everyone talking. And he's very open to us and says, I don't have, I'm very lucky not to have any uh, mental challenges or things that I think that are right now anyway, that he's quite open about. He said, but I'm really interested in you know, seeing, talking to you guys and seeing, he asked me, everyone a lot of questions and he's been great about it. And just as I was about to ask this question, he's popped up with this. So he said, what do you do if you feel you're not getting to a person, but you know, they need help? So I think he's saying maybe a friend of his or someone he knows that's in trouble, like, and he wants them to get help. I think that's what I was going to ask as well, probably along those lines. Is there any sort of suggestions how you can do that for someone or you can't or what, what do you think? Uh, well, yeah, you can. So I guess that's, um, you know, there's that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink sort of thing. So, um, but that, that's, so yeah, so that's partly true. You can't really force someone in uh, therapy or, I mean, you, you, you possibly can, but it's, it's not really, it's not a great idea. <laughs> it's not a good starting point. So, uh, but what you can do is nudge them and encourage them and give them information. So, um, so what I would say is, um, it, so we talked about this a bit earlier when it comes to finding the right therapist. It depends a lot on the person and their personality and their style. Um, that also comes into play in terms of how you approach them and how do you try to nudge them in the right direction. So what I would say is that the the goal, I suppose, is if, if you really think someone needs some help is to get try to get them to realise that they need help. Um, and yeah. there are various ways of doing that. So you can provide them with... Um, you know, with information. So if you go to your local GP these days, um, you'll probably find a whole wall or shelf full of um, pamphlets. You know, and there's brochures for, for Black Dog and Beyond Blue and OK, OK etc. So you can you can get some of those things, hand them over. 
Um, or depending on their style or their age or whatever, you can direct them to certain websites. Um, and there's some fantastic resources now. Um, and this is a fantastic, I mean, we take this for granted now, but this, um, well, it's, some of it existed when I started out, but not at the mm. level that it is now. Uh, and one of the things I, I actually love, you know, I think there's a lot to love about it because it's actually, it's much easier for someone to go to a visitor website. It's anonymous, it's, you know, there's no stigma yeah. really. Um, and there's a lot of great information. So that's mm. another thing you can do is direct them towards, uh, as I said, the, you know, are you okay day website, the Mr. Perfect website or whatever mm. you think will be appropriate, uh, either to help, you know, to give them some information or help them see a conversation. You can send them a self-help book. You can uh, encourage them to listen to a podcast or whatever you think might work for them. There's all sorts of ways that you can just gently or, or maybe not gently, you know, sometimes just being blunt and honest is, um, but, but to try to get them to think about, is this, is this, are you really okay? You know, could yeah. things be better? And if they're not, then, um, and then, you know, there's all sorts of, um, if, if it is about the stigma, there's all sorts of metaphors you can use that, you know, if you're, you know, if your car was spluttering along, you'd, you'd take it to the mechanic, presumably, or if your tooth was aching, you'd go to the dentist, or if you're, you know, coming up to June 30 and you're having some troubles with your finances, you might go to an accountant. Well, mm -hmm. going to a psychologist is no different, really. They're, they're an expert, just like a lawyer or accountant or mechanic are experts, and they might be able to help you live a better life. Um, Absolutely. So, the answer is to try to find a way that you think might work for that particular person to help them recognize as a problem, realize there might be something they can do about it, and then find the right person for them. Definitely. I think you're right. That's a good point. It's got to be customized. You can't just expect you know, everyone to feel, oh, here's a, here's a leaflet or here's it for everyone. It's just not going to be it's not going to be the right thing. And I think tailoring it to knowing that person really well um, is important. But there's a couple of things you said. The I remember I was sort of been 15 years ago when I first, I knew way before there was, you know, something different about me, I guess I could say. But I Googled, I've talked about it before, I Googled depression and what's depression. That's probably 21, I think. It's one of the sort of darker, darker periods. In, and I, there, was a, there was barely, there wasn't too much around, like in the UK on websites and things, and maybe there was like the National Mental Health something, there was maybe one big charity that did something, and it had a checklist, and there was eight things, and I had six of them, and I went, oh, I haven't got it in because I didn't match the whole eight. And like I completely put the laptop down, cut that out of my head for a while, you know. That was back then, you wouldn't even say that was 15 years ago. The thought that, or the terrifying thought that you would even address that, that was a big thing. So clearly now we have a ton of resources around. And um, I was going to ask you, and I don't know if you have a view on it, but I now know from my sort of, and I know you're definitely a great research as well, but you would know hundreds and hundreds of from community grassroots groups, movements, et cetera, right through to more of the clinical things, right through to websites, apps, you name it, whatever it works for people. There's so many around right now, but do you think it's a problem with sort of access or I've had people comment to me this when I did a landscape of sort of the mental health sector of these mm -hmm. groups and everyone was really positive about it. So it's, it's good to know there's lots around, but then there's a couple of you who said, isn't this confusing or isn't this, <laughs> they were surprised that it was so vast. And I said, yeah, like there's actually a lot there. If you look, Maybe it's a marketing problem or communicating to people what they exactly need or an education problem. But what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, well, um, yeah, look, I guess there's pros and cons. There's different ways to answer that. I mean, the, 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 the good thing is, um, you know, those things didn't even exist exactly. 10, 30 years ago. So it's fantastic that there are a lot of resources available, so many more that were available when I first started suffering or even if I go, but, you know, if I think about my father or grandfather's generation, there was virtually nothing so so i think we, we, we it's important to recognize we've come a long way it's fantastic that there are a lot of those things out there um as you said it can be a bit confusing although they're all many of those things they're, they're working in different areas and and they're offering different services so they're not necessarily you know they don't necessarily all overlap um and that you know and that's a good thing that there is because there's um, you know mental health is a very complex area um, is everything from, you know, there's sort of prevention, there's education, there's research, and then there's clinical services, there's inpatient services, outpatient. So there's, you know, different different people will require different pieces of that puzzle, I suppose. Um, 
there could be better collaboration. I think those of us that work in the um, you know in the health area uh, all acknowledge that, and I, I'm hopeful that we're starting to see a bit more than that. I, I really feel in the last 12 to 18 months that we're starting to see a bit more of that. Although um, it does frustrate me sometimes that 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 particularly with some of the bigger players. I won't mention any names, but particularly some of the players. There's I mean, as there always is, I mean, there's politics and there's competition. I mean, you know, some competing for grants and for funds and, and that, that is a bit of a, um, it is a bit frustrating, but that's life, I guess. That's, um, you know, it's no different to any other area, really. But uh, I do have, I must admit, if, you, if you'd asked me, you know, compared to how I would have felt maybe two, three years ago, I do actually have some, some hope now that, that there is a uh, more of a coming together, a bit more of a collaboration. Um, and maybe that's just a sign of, maturity of the the, yeah. the the whole area becoming more mature and recognizing but um you know for the average person out there i guess if they're looking for help i just just start wherever you can try whatever's easiest to access or whatever kind of makes most sense to you and even if that's not the right thing they'll probably be able to put you in touch with the right thing so just just get in there and get started with something um and that's probably better than nothing exactly and uh yeah i think you're right i've seen it more over the last year maybe just on a, the grassroots sort of level and similar to the things we do, a lot more people reach out now and say, hey, this is what we're doing. We feel like we might be replicating a little bit or we're doing this. How do you feel about this? And I'm always open to that because I remember a time, it's a bit of a strange one actually, like, honestly in my head when, you know, when I'm on a high and things are going well and I've got energy, I'm going to collaborate with anyone and everyone. Like that's just me, right? I'm being Mr. Nice Guy and doing everything. And I remember when I first reached out to at one of the, the bigger organizations years and years ago and i said oh i've got this great idea i'm going to do this thing <laughs> you know uh it's called mr perfect it's going to be barbecues and they replied back and it was obviously like one of these generic replies and even the formatting was wrong along the bit underneath it and they said oh but how about you just raise money for us and i remember just feeling like shattered for a while going what why would they you know <laughs> i was like i took it so personally and then i thought about it and i was like look obviously now with maturity as well going it's not uh it's not feasible for them to help every single you know person who reaches out for a great idea and as it is in probably the commercial world as well when you reach out to someone you want to mentor or whatever and it's funny because i've seen the same full circle like we've grown a bit of a brand now and it's four or five years and now i get that from other people so i'm always reminding myself don't if i'm having a bad day and i'm a bit sure i'm a bit I sometimes will go to send that email back and not really think about that implication. And it's just human, like something, you know, and I just go, sorry, I can't help right now or whatever. But then I go, no, no, like I have to pull myself back and think, hear them out. Like, how can we do something? I have to remind myself because I think I was in that same position. Yeah. There's a lot of people wanting to do something, which is incredible. Not everyone has the right resources, skills, etc. But we've definitely moved somewhere. Well, a big leap, actually. I think so. Even the time I've been in Australia, ten years, eleven years, um, it's been massive, absolutely mm. massive. But um, someone's commented here. Uh, Ash is one of our um, barbecue hosts in regional Victoria. Uh, but now he, um, hey boss, hey team, bit of a beer man podcast flashback for me tonight. Um, so he, his story, Ash, he found out about what we do through the podcast that we did with Gus Wall on the Beer Man podcast. So um, it's really interesting because uh, that was kind of time flies probably two or three years ago now, maybe at least two and a bit years ago. Um, so was that your first, and I wanted to ask you about the Beer Man thing, was that your first foray into the podcasting stuff then or, or did you do stuff before that? Or? Uh, well, no, firstly, it's, um, it's really cool that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right. Mr. Perfect through, because um, I think, yeah, obviously I'd met you not long before that and I thought yeah. it was fantastic and it was great to be able to give you a platform, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think before that, um, well, well, that was my, I suppose that was my first as a, as a host, um, yes. but I, I'd um, guested on, um, you know, been interviewed on a number of podcasts before, but but yeah, that was the biggest one I'd done and, and as a host with, uh, or co-host with Gus, obviously, um, and that was fantastic and that was the... Um, we, that was the first one that, that we, we totally focused on on manhood, on masculinity. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, um, be a man was, uh, well, I, I always thought it should have been a question, which is like, what yeah. does it mean to be a man? So we, we explored explored masculinity from a whole range, you know, all different perspectives, not just around mental health, but around sexuality and 
professional lives and fun all sorts of things and and that was a fantastic experience um for those of you that know working with gus was a was a pretty cool experience <laughs> he's a he's a larger than life character so um and we played off each other really well i thought you know i, I guess my professional experience with his um his radio and speaking experience so so that was wonderful and um and uh yeah as you said it's time flies that must have been i think yeah, it was probably it was good two or three years ago now um but i can't remember if there was another question in there sorry <laughs> yeah so i was gonna i guess my sort of second lead up to that was um the a lot of what well you're having to do now regardless because of what's going on but um with podcasting and the like and your um audio book and everything else how do you because uh, they've obviously been success how do you think i guess why do you think they connect so well with people or men maybe the bma was with men but the habits for happiness why, why do you think podcasting is such a good medium for that well i think being a man um you know to be perfectly honest i think um having gus was a huge plus he he had a um you know for those who might not know he, he'd been on triple m for oh, i think close to a decade or something um with a very sports focus so it was a very and it was a very blokey um you know they, i think 80 percent of their audience was males basically um so ha and that's part you know that was why it made such a good combination um he didn't but you know he had a very strong interest in this but he didn't obviously have any professional experience so so i think that that connected um through gus through the audience he already had plus we were lucky enough to have um you know southern cross stereo the, the yes. who owned triple m you know big engine behind it who who did a fantastic job of promoting and pushing it out so that 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 was pretty much a uh, you know there's a very strong marketing and um uh you know, advertising push behind it i suppose um and i think we i think it also connected because because again i think we had a really great balance of um his you know like gus is gus is the every man he's the common aussie he's a great aussie bloke and um i think you know i'm a qualified expert but hopefully someone that can also communicate to the average person so uh, and we had some great guests on um including this great guy called mr perfect so uh, you know we had a lot of exercise i was absolutely petrified but anyway <laughs> but yeah so there were a lot of pluses there and a lot of obvious ones um uh, in terms of for habits for happiness which is an audio book which came out yeah. at the end of last year um to be honest i'm not sure it was it's done incredibly well um it's, it's even four or five months later it's still the number one in its category it's getting fantastic ratings like over several hundred thousand downloads i think and i'm not really sure because in some ways it's not that different to a lot of the other work i've done which is done okay but not as well as that um mm -hmm. i think there was um well it would have got a great push from audible i mean they did a really good job of marketing as well um maybe there was just a bit of luck of the timing it came out um in early well it came out well late december actually which i thought was a strange time but they were they were quite positive and they turned out to be right that that's a time when people are going on summer holidays you know downloading books got time on the hands sitting on the beach listening i mean podcasting and audiobooks generally is a is a massively growing area um you know print publishing sort of uh, well it's not dying it's still doing okay but it's 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 a lot harder now a lot more people are you know the podcast and audiobook industry is massively growing so i i don't know i think I'd, I'd like to think that my content had something to do with it, but I think maybe there was a bit of luck as well. Um, who knows? I don't, I'm not quite sure to be honest. Yeah. And I, and the reason I asked about that, cause I just saw the, um, the update when it was, I think I saw on a social channel saying it was still at number one. I thought it was incredible. And I, I haven't listened to it yet and I'm, I'm going to now. Um, and I think, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had to be honest and say I hadn't, but I think the, um, generally the, podcasts i find it great for me to take things in and if someone's telling me something in the moment normally my wife or telling me something that's direct it just won't i don't know it takes me a while to sit on it and sometimes it might be going in uh, very gradually over a course of time so listening to podcasts series about men's health about mental health about you know all the things that you talk about as well they just seem to work and i had a an anecdote from that that when i was on um, a bloke psychology podcast a couple of weeks ago by Carl Nelms. He released the first one and I was on it and he said he got two mates like straight afterwards that he'd never really discussed, you know, directly about their mental health. He's a psychologist. And they both said, wow, this made me think 
I need to go and you know sort of access some help or at least start looking at some some help. So I thought that just generally there seems to be um, a reason that podcasts work, and I don't know the science behind it or uh, what goes in from the podcast, but they they're, they're great for me as well. I love them. Um, well, I think the, I mean I'm um, I'm actually a reader. I love reading. That's one of my main interests and I guess hobbies in life, I suppose. But but um that that's the rarity really. Is a lot of you know a lot of people uh, once they finish school, once they finish university, don't read that much, and that's yeah. fine. You know, it's not good or bad. It's just the way it is. So, but there's a much bigger group of people who, for a variety of reasons, find it easier to listen. Um, yeah. And you know, so a lot of us listen to music. Um, but when you're, particularly when, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have, you know, spent at least one or two hours commuting to and from work, well, maybe not at the yeah. moment, but yeah. under normal circumstances. Um, you know, it, it's not unusual, particularly in a big city like Sydney, for people to spend, you know, two hours travelling um, to and from work every day. Now, what do you do for those two hours? Well, listening to something's an easy thing to do. It's relatively passive. You can yeah. still stare out the window. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think, and that's what, you know, most people, well, a large proportion of those people that listen to podcasts and audiobooks do it traveling to and from work. So and it's, it's easy to do and it's it's relatively cheap. Um, it's, um, and it's convenient. Almost, you know, almost all of us these days have a, you know, some device like this. Um, so you can, you know, easily download hundreds of books if you want or podcasts. I mean, all the podcasts I listen to are free. Um, so, yeah, it's fantastic. And I've certainly listened to more and more podcasts in um, in the last few years and will, you know, I mean, almost every day I'll listen to a bit of a podcast. Yeah, yeah my wife has a go at me because I'll be, um, I'll go to the lounge and do the washing up and have my earphones in. I'll be cleaning, I'll be doing the vacuuming, I'll be going outside to put the bins out. It's just a habit now to put it in, even when I go to sleep. And that's been a bad one. I had to stop doing that. But um, yeah. on the habits um, uh, for happiness, Gordon, who's our um, the chair of Mr. Perfect, uh, great friend as well and he's an avid sort of learner I guess and um, I'm sure he'll be picking it up and listening to it he just mentioned there what are some of the key habits so without going, <laughs> spending you know the whole time reading the book what's um give us sort of a highlight of the key habits you mentioned I guess in the in the audio book um, well I say just um it, just for those of you interested if you if you are an audible um, subscriber or whatever it's actually free which is um, I'll to plug something and not having to necessarily sell it. So it's a, I guess the, the key habits are, um, I mean, then it's not radically new, they're, they're common things, but I think, um, and going back to the point earlier about what do I have maybe that connects or that allows people to catch me, I think um, what I've learned over the years is I think probably my one of my greatest strengths as a professional is to be able to take, sort of take science and take evidence-based practices and communicate them in a way that's easy to understand. And so that's if Habits for Happiness has been successful, I think that's partly why, because it's 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 very easy to understand. It's very applicable, very applied, um, very practical strategies. So so the main ones are things like, well, starting off with a positive vision. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's setting goals and having a vision board and imagining, you know, it's hard to live a good life if you don't even know what that life looks like. Um, yes. And many of us don't. Many of us sort of stumble through, wander through, thinking, you know, what the hell am I doing? I'll, I'll just do tomorrow. I'll just get the next day done. Um, but those people that are really happy and successful more generally have a you know, longer-term vision and a positive vision of what a great life would look like. So, mm -hmm. so that's one of the that's, – that's habit one. That's the first thing. And then from there we break it down into shorter-term goals, obviously, and developing more practical short-term strategies. Uh, it's about having fun. I think that's um, frequently underestimated and undervalued. Uh, it's about taking care of our physical health and well-being. Um, that's one of the other habits, which is um, obviously good. You just touched on sleep. I mean, sleep's a very important part of health and well-being. Diet and nutrition's a really important part, um, and exercise is a really important part. And you know, we all know that exercise is good for our bodies, for our muscles, um, but it's also very good for our mental health. In fact, you know, for me, that's one of my most important um, mental health strategies: is exercising. Yeah. Um, it's about developing and maintaining good quality relationships. And so talking about the connection hour, connecting is, um, I would say, probably the most important health and well-being, mental health strategy out of everything. If I had to, you know, if, if, if you were to say, ask me, what's the most important thing for happiness, for health, for well-being, for longevity, for success in life, 
I'd probably say, well, I'm loath to name just one because there's not just one, there's lots of things. But if I had to, I'd probably say the quality of our relationships, our connectedness, our sense of belonging. And, you know, that's why I'm super, you know, such a big fan of, of Mr. Perfect and the barbecues because that's a, you know, that's a great example. It's a great simple way for people to connect. Um, there's lots of other ways we can do it, but, but yeah, that's one of the important habits. Um, uh, it doesn't mean you have to be extroverted. It doesn't mean you've got to have thousands of friends, but it does mean in some way or other, we need to have at least a couple. Um, you don't need that many, but at least a couple, even just one or two of people yeah. who you can trust, who you feel comfortable with, who you can talk to. Um, you know, it might be your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, could be your mum or your dad or uh, your best mate or whatever. Um, but we, we probably do need at least one or two of them, maybe a few more if you're lucky. Um, but in some way or other, um, that connection is vitally important. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's other things. Uh, I mean, I talk about mindfulness. I talk about optimism and hope, which are very important, obviously. Um, I talk about um, uh, getting better at identifying our strengths uh, as opposed to just trying to fix all our weaknesses. This is yeah. a really important part of positive psychology. Um, as a clinical psychologist, all I learned to do is help people identify their faults and weaknesses really and then help them fix it now now that's okay uh, we all have faults and weaknesses and if we can identify them and fix them then great but one of the things i loved most about positive psychology when i first discovered it and, and i still love is that just as just like we all have faults and failings and weaknesses which we do because we're all imperfect uh, we also have strengths um, positive attributes um, and the more we can identify them the better we can use them in all our aspects of our life uh, the happier and more successful will be. So, mm -hmm. so that's, um, I think that's most of them. I can't remember. Some yeah, such a good summary. Again, I was lost in it. I had some questions and I was thinking that everything you were saying, there was just the key themes or the high level topics of them are, we sound like a broken record sometimes, but um, we've covered a few of those in the past on TRH having, um, you know, fitness exercise and not seeing it as, you know, you when people think of, working out or exercise or fitness they just assume immediately they have to be an athlete and that's where your mind goes even mine like it stops me sometimes i go well i'm getting older now i don't get out as much i don't do this and i've just i've realized that let's aim let's not aim too high and let's start with sort of the, <laughs> the smaller points but the other points you made about um i know when i was a lot of the things i come up with with my psychologist was well you um you have this idea of what you think a perfect life is. Um, also, you think you're aiming for something all the time and you're focusing on the bits that are not so great. Is it, so what does that actual life look like then? And I hadn't really, <laughs> I actually had not considered it. And he said, well, how do you know, how do you, how can you measure it subjectively or how can you purely say, well, how can you judge that or judge yourself and be hard on yourself if you don't know what it looks like? <laughs> I'm stumped. I sat there and went, oh, yeah. And then I tried to come up with some random stuff that I've just come into my head. And he went, that's not what you really want, though, is it? And I went, no, actually, it's not. <laughs> so, yeah. It's bizarre that we're, um, it really is bizarre. It's absurd that we're not taught this at school, really. Well, I mean, right. we're starting to, which is great. You know, it's better than it used to be. But, but you know, if you think about, I guess, you know, like I love sport and it's great to talk about sport, particularly in a male sort of context. But, you know, if you think about sport, um, they know exactly what a win is. You know, you know exactly what a victory looks like. You score more points than the opposition. I mean, it depends what game you're playing, obviously. Uh, and then they'll even break it down. They'll, you know, they'll know what a win is. They'll know they'll have you know defensive targets and offensive targets, etc. Whatever it might be. Um, similarly, within an organisation, you know, most organisations know what success looks like. Now, it might be something as simple as making a profit or a certain amount of profit, but there'll be other subtleties or you know things along the way as well. Um, but many of us don't do that in our personal lives. You know, what's a win? What's success? What's what does profit mean in a sense in your personal life? If if you can't answer that, um, it's virtually impossible to achieve. Um, and that's you know, so that's really the first starting point. What what does a great life look like? Um, and then you can work back from there and work out what you need to do, where you might need to get help, what you might need to learn. Um, and we can, if we start doing those things, we can hopefully get closer to it. Mm. No, I love that. And, uh, yeah, it just rings home, like every point you said then and, and the whole point of that you, I think you mentioned vision board or mood board or something that it sounds, you know, to people that that 
might sound a bit strange at first, but that's exactly it. Like if you don't know where it is or you can't break it down to daily saying, like my psychologist tells me, you, in the morning, you know, you've got two young kids, it's hectic, you've changed their nappy or one of the boys' nappies, you've got them ready for school, like give yourself a tip for like those things. Those little things in a day, I mean, you've, you haven't lost it at them before you've got them in the car to go to kindy, you've got them to kindy safely and you start building up these things. And it's only recently I really appreciate that and gone, oh, wow, actually, that was a pretty good day. If you actually looked at like a scoreboard and went, well, yet the one little thing that used to happen might knock me off that, you know, that perch and I'll just focus on that for the whole day, week, whatever it might be. Um, so it's just given a, a totally different perspective. And I think you also mentioned we're not kind of told that. Um, there's some huge educational gaps on those things that we, um, I think, generally not told or taught. But we as men just don't even consider, <laughs> don't even think, you know, we all know where to start. But keeping it simple has been a big theme of, I think, these TRHs we've been doing as well. And yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I can't wait to um, listen in more depth. But uh, I think you covered that last, when you were talking the, the second time back, you covered so many great points in the summary of um, Habits for Happiness. But it might be one of those that you leave us with. I think you said the most important. But what would be, I guess, your your final, uh, yeah, bit of um, advice for connection or the most important thing you'd leave, I guess, mainly men with um, on how to connect or how to find it, um, yeah. Well, yeah, well, um, it, I suppose it, it sort of comes from what I think was probably my biggest mistake, um, particularly when I was younger and a bit less so now. And I think it's a mistake that a lot of us, men particularly make um and that's that to really can so 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 yeah i'll start with that. i think probably the most important thing if i had to name one thing would be uh it's about connecting and finding good quality relationships um whoever or wherever that might be um in order to do that and this is again what a lot of us men find difficult i think to really connect with someone else you need to be vulnerable yeah. you need to be mr not perfect yeah. um because without that, and I guess that's, you know, I've, I've sort of wondered over the years why, well, I, I think I've wished in a way that I was closer to certain people um, and, and wondered why I wasn't. And, and to be perfectly honest, um, the, the, the fault was predominantly mine because how could I expect to get close to someone when I was never really honest with them? I was never really my true self. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I've only started to really do that in recent years. Um, now, that might scare some people away, some people not be able to deal with it, but then they're not meant to be my true friends for whatever reason. Um, but I, I would say that that we really need to value connection, we really need to value friendships, and in order to, to do that, we've got to be prepared to be vulnerable. We've got to be prepared to be imperfect, to open up, to admit some of our faults and failings. And when you, it's actually, it's, it's, it's quite a great good feeling when you get used to doing it. Once you, you don't have to carry this weight around anymore um and you know the reality is most people won't judge you as badly as you think they will um you know i was i was scared for many years that people would uh, think horribly of me and, and it turns out they didn't um nothing terrible happened when i came out um some people didn't know how to deal with it but that's okay some people you know responded better than others but uh, but those that didn't i didn't blame them that wasn't necessarily their fault um and it did surprise me a bit who how different people responded but anyway i'm getting off track i think that yeah. the, the message i'd say is i think to um to, to to really connect with others we've got to know who we are be prepared to admit who we are and be who we are in public and um and i suppose that's um you know that that's been the focus of my life in a sense for the last five six seven years i suppose trying to you know, be more comfortable with and be more vulnerable and authentic um and it's uh, you know if there are any disadvantages that the advantages far outweigh them i would say absolutely no i think i don't think i can add anything to that and i won't <laughs> um it's been absolutely fascinating made me think about a lot I've made a ton of comments i'm sure there'll be many more views as well and um, questions afterwards so i probably will ask you back on at some stage i'll give you a breather but uh, <laughs> i'm sure people no. will want to know more. so look um, i urge people obviously to check out um, habits for happiness and um, where can people find out more about you and, and the work you do what's the sort of central hub or the easiest way 
Uh, thanks, I'd love to come back anytime. Uh, you, you know, or I hope you know, I'm a big fan of, of Mr. Pervy. I think it's fantastic and good on all of you, whoever's out there for being a part of what's a fantastic community. And, and I actually just say, I wanted to say this earlier, uh, sure. I actually went through, Terry knows this, and he, he, he yeah, the, I mean, earlier this year, I went through a very, very, very bad patch, a very difficult patch. I won't go into the details, but, and I, um, I was on the, the Mr. Um, Perfect community um, and sort of reached out and asked for help in a sense. And, and the responses I got were, um, it was just fantastic. It, it I'd almost say it saved my life. It certainly helped me get through a very, very dark period just a few months ago. And it was just a couple of other blokes saying, it's okay, mate, we're here for you. We've been through that as well. So so I just yeah, want to say a big thank you to you, to all the community. It's fantastic what you're doing. Uh, if anyone gets in touch, um, they, well, my website is www.drhappy.com.au, um, but that'll take you to, on Facebook, um, uh, or the Happiness Institute, on Instagram, I'm the Happiness Institute, and on Twitter, I'm uh, Dr. Happy. So uh, come and say hello. Um, if you've got any other questions, far away, happy to ask them. I try to answer them as best I can. Amazing. Now, as I said, fascinating. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I will reshare this as well uh, tomorrow morning as well for anyone that missed it. Uh, take care, Tim, and, and take care everyone else out there. Thanks, mate. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Cheers.